You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Kills. Ah, friends. Hey, uh, let's talk podcasting. Why should you start a podcast? Because of the people you meet. <laughs> I uh, I reached out to Glenn Packiam a few years ago before I'd written before the podcast because I was fascinated that Glenn, who is now Dr. Glenn Packiam, by the way, uh, that Glenn was raised and and deeply loves the charismatic tradition. And I come from such a rational tradition. I have such a hunger for being more aware of God's spirit that part of the reason I wanted to reach out to Glenn for that, but then also through some pain in his own life and the journey of New Life Church where he serves, Glenn uh, discovered that, you know, every tradition has limits and the charismatic tradition had limits too. So he dived deep into Anglicanism. So Dr. Glenn Packiam is a charismatic pastor and also an Anglican <laughs> priest. And I just think, man, that is the way to go. He, he, his well runs very deep into the ancient tradition of the church. His well also runs deep into a keenness to what the Spirit is doing. Uh, Glenn has written a number of books, and probably the most recent one that you'd be familiar with is Worship and the World to Come. Glenn does come from a like classic worship leader, musician background, but he's also a pastor theologian. So this is a guy that I had on the podcast very early. He was very kind to me, really before I had an audience. To come on the show, I remember we talked family systems, we talked genograms, Glenn. But what we want to talk today is struggle. So here, here mm. comes the, the world's longest introduction. <laughs> uh, when I was a chaplain, one of the fellow chaplains, Carolyn Goddard, uh, amazing, amazing woman. And uh, she had a, a quadriplegic son. He had, uh, had a diving accident when he was a teenager. Mm. One of those things she said to us in our group, she said, you know, when your son's a quadriplegic, you just automatically think, well, that's as hard as life's going to get. That's all that I can handle. So, God, you know, nothing worse is going to happen. And then your son catches a cold, which for a quadriplegic is life-threatening, can head into pneumonia. And she said, you're already running on fumes and then something really risky happens. And Glenn, when I knew we were going to chat today, that's what came to mind with you because 2020 hit all of us. But right on the cusp of releasing your book on hope, you discovered that you had a personal issue that had to be dealt with. It wasn't life-threatening, but it was vocation-threatening. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us what happened. Well, Steve, first of all, it's so good to talk to you again. And I have been a fan of your work for a lot of years, and I consider myself lucky to have been in on the secret before others uh, found out about it. But when you gave me an early copy of Managing Leadership Anxiety, I just thought, this is gold. This is gold. And the way that you distilled your wisdom into you know helping leaders with uh, internal, situational, relational anxiety, and then the, the, the tools, and the, it's it's wonderful. We, we refer to it all the time uh, here at New Life. So I a big thanks to you and and uh, I love the friendship that we've developed here. Yes, yeah, so in in the summer of 2020, I somewhere in middle the middle of June, early July, 
I started, my voice started becoming really hoarse. And uh, I thought, oh, you know, it's, it's allergies or I'm, I'm talking too much. Maybe I'm yelling on Zoom calls or, you know, all of that stuff. And I just sort of pushed through and I was releasing the book and I was, I created kind of a 10 episode uh, podcast called Conversations on Hope. And I was interviewing guests. And I remember I was interviewing a guest and my voice would just keep cracking and I would struggle to get sound out. And a buddy of mine, who's one of the worship pastors here at New Life, John Egan, said, bro, you need to go get that checked out. So the day after uh, releasing the book, I went and saw a local ENT and he said, man, you've got a polyp on your vocal cord. And I didn't know what that meant. I'm Googling stuff, you know, Dr. Google and and only finding out worse news. And I'm I'm to be honest, I mean, here we I'm on your show so I can tell you this. I, <laughs> I, I struggle with with catastrophizing anyway, you know, imagining yeah. kind of the worst case scenario. And so I'm thinking, oh, no, what's going on? So I, I tried vocal rest. I tried being silent for about five or six days and hot teas and all of that uh, and and went in for another check. And I kind of had this false good news. And I even shared it on social media because he was he said, oh, I think it's gone. I think there's just some bruising and I think it's gone. And I was rejoicing. I thought God had done a miracle. And I felt uh, at that time very special. OK, yes, of course, God, you would not allow me to go through something. That, you know, <laughs> they, Of course you would do. You know, actually, my wife even said she's like, I just kind of am mad at you that God would heal you. You know, so I was I was happy. I went on another round of vocal rest just to try to finish up the, what I thought was the healing in my mind, only to go back in September. You know, so this is now six weeks after discovering there was a problem. And the local ENT saying, you know, I was wrong. I didn't see it accurately the first time, but I think it's still there. I think it's always been there. In fact, there's quite a lot of hemorrhaging on your vocal cord. And that's the issue. I mean, for singers and speakers, polyps, nodules, that stuff happens. But the hemorrhaging was the problem. And so I had I had one vocal cord that was you know completely discolored because there was a blood vessel that was just hemorrhaging into it. So I ended up seeing a specialist in Denver. Long story short, discovered I needed surgery and began to get even more anxious about all of that. You know, I'd heard horror stories of uh, people using lasers and, and singeing the vocal cords and not being able to talk again. And, and through a friend of a friend, I was connected with some of the best um, vocal surgeons in, in the world, really out in Boston. And by the kindness of God, I was able to you know talk with, consult with them on the phone. My wife and I ended up flying out there in October. So this is now, you know, it's a three month kind of journey. August, September, October, early October, we fly out to Boston. Insurance covered it, thank God, and had the surgery and then had to have two weeks of total silence afterwards. So all in all, it was 30 days of silence in a span of 77 days. But the worst part of it was that nobody, I didn't know that up front. And anyone who struggled with health journeys understands that the, the biggest cause of anxiety in this stuff is nobody tells you at the beginning, okay, this is what the process is going to look like. It's going to be three months and there's going to be this much of this and that, you know, it's all of the unknowns that come along the way. And so for me, there were unknowns about would I ever speak again? Would I ever sing again? Uh, would my voice come back to strength? Would they mess up the surgery? I mean, all of those things that I had to really wrestle with. And and when you're, you know, I, I am a guy who a few years ago on a sabbatical tried to go to a silent retreat and didn't make it more than five hours. I went to the car and called my wife and then went back into the monastery, you know, Um so to do to do 30 days of silence and the longest stretch within that 30 days was two weeks in a row. There was a lot there that was illuminating for me. Well, and let's first get into the mechanics of your voice, because I do think, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are speakers and singers. Mm -hmm. And then I, I do want to dive into the emotional and spiritual experience. Um, 
I've always thought polyps and things like that and the hemorrhaging uh, is really just for singers. And obviously, you sang full-time for years. Yeah, yeah. But then I remember a former president of the United States had to go in for surgery for all the public speaking he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know which one triggered it most? Oh, for me, uh, what triggered No, and I, when I was talking to the surgeon... Um, he said, "Man, there's it's you can explain a, a, a confluence of events, but it, it's it's a perfect storm of, of factors. But sometimes it's just bad luck because people could have a person could have the same perfect storm of events and not develop that. Um, so in in my case, I had what's called a hemorrhagic polyp. So there was a blood vessel that had that was just bleeding into a vocal cord and then dumping out. It's a bit graphic, sorry. It would would dump out into a polyp on the side of the vocal cord, and so that wasn't going to heal on its own. So they had to." They had to use steel instruments to cut, to slit the polyp, drain it, and then they had to use a laser to to essentially ablate or, or burn the the, the cauter, you know, the cauterize the blood vessel so that it would stop hemorrhaging. And Dr. Fauci actually had the same exact surgery last uh, summer or last fall. Um, so, and 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 these doctors in Boston, they have a wall of fame. So I wouldn't mm. be violating HIPAA to say it, but you know, Coach Doc Rivers, uh, NBA coach, uh, had this done. John Mayer, Bono, this, these are the surgeons that did Adele's voice. Uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith. You know, so I felt in good hands. My my yeah. guy worked on Steven Tyler, so I was like, well, you know, hey, you know, walk this way. <laughs> Well, and, and I've, I've often watched Steven Tyler singing, thinking, how is he not getting surgery <laughs> annually? But of course, it, it is a diaphragm thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if I recall, Glenn, after your surgery, you had to go in for some kind of a occupational therapy or physical therapy. Yeah, yeah. How do you speak differently now than before surgery? I'm more conscious of not restricting uh, airflow around the neck and throat. Um, what's what's interesting for me is as a singer, I had I'd learned the mechanics of of the air support coming from below and relaxing the muscles in the throat and the neck as much as you can so that the air comes out clean and actually comes out you know smooth sort of over the top of all that. Uh, but when I'm speaking, I'm less conscious of that, and so it's easy to just tighten the neck and the throat and kind of push from there. So. I'm I'm aware of those things. I you know what's interesting, Steve, to maybe the link between the physiological and the emotional is I realize at home how much of my uh, talking to my kids sometimes comes with a strained neck uh, <laughs> to 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 match with uh, anger or irrit- irritability or frustration. And so emotions do play a part of our physiology. When we are relaxed, our body is relaxed, and when when we're not, uh, everything comes out tight. Yeah. All right, so then let's take your your emotional spiritual experience in two stages. You mentioned the very common challenge of medical challenges. You don't know the path. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, okay, what was going on in your catastrophizing mind before you got into surgery? I thought that uh, when I knew that, uh, first when I knew that I had it and I thought uh, it might require surgery, I already, my mind already went to one or two stories of people who the surgery went poorly and they, they, they lost the ability to really speak. And I thought, God, would you do this? Would you allow that to happen? And I wanted to say, surely not. But I also know good people suffer. Um, that this is life in the fallen world. Uh, good people, called people, people who have great ministries, you know, and and so it was hard to to be willing to say, Lord, if you allowed that, how would I respond? You know, would would I? I, I would hope to respond well and with faithfulness and humility, humility and love. 
so my mind would just start playing out all those scenarios or what 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 if that happened what, what how would I respond um, and then even of course going into surgery there was a lot of anxiety so I found myself you know, clinging to one or two scriptures and one or two um, songs that I would play. In fact, the morning of surgery, I got up at 4 a.m. Eastern time uh, out in Boston and just was listening to Psalm 23 and listening to a, a scripture and song. Paul Balash's son, David Balash, has this great album called Labyrinth. And it's it's essentially like really ambient music with scripture lyrics. And um, and that that helped me kind of say no matter what, no matter what. Um, the Lord is going to be with me. In fact, I remember sitting in the office waiting room before going in to see the specialist in Denver to get the kind of definitive word about whether or not surgery was required. I kind of had my head in my hands and I tried to just listen and say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to know? And I thought, you know, I was hoping for, I am going to heal you or, you know, instead what I, what I heard or what I sensed was, I am with you. And I knew right away, okay, well, this is not going to be the easier path, um, but I'm I'm going to trust that you're with me. Yeah, you know I, I would imagine as a fellow Enneagram three or someone who identifies in that mm-hmm. three space, Glenn, you put so much work into the doctorate at Durham, and then out of that, not just your thesis, but you've become quite a publishing juggernaut. Uh, not just what you've put out, but what's coming out. I know you, and then you and Holly, your wife, have some really exciting. I think. Materials on the way. I, I just happen to have the inside scoop. Right? <laughs> um, I, I would imagine if I was in your shoes, there would be a profound fear about how do I, how do I use my voice without vocal cords? You know, how do I? Because you do have a, a remarkable message. So that okay, did that that must have crossed your mind? Just uh, all the it, work. It ab- well, and just a sense of my vocation. Um, and I tried to say, okay, I don't want to have an unhealthy attachment to this and an unhealthy sort of like, okay, I am my work and all that. But, but I felt like legitimately, it was like, Lord, I, I thought you'd call me to kind of use my voice in a particular way. So, so there was a sense of like a bit of an appeal, like, uh, you know, like you see sometimes in the Bible where they're like, Hey God, you, you, like Moses saying to God, you called Israel out of Egypt. You didn't mean to make them die in the wilderness, you know? So there was a little bit of that. But there was also on the other side of it to say, Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to take things for granted. I don't want to take these things as a given, as something that you owe me. And I, I realized how easy it is to become presumptuous about that stuff. I would say yes to, um, yeah, I'll speak at that thing. I'll do this seminar. I'll do that podcast. I'll do, you know, and I'm squeezing in all the stuff. And it was almost, if I never vocalized it, I certainly thought it inside. It was almost like a badge of honor. Look how many talks I can do in a week. Look how many interviews I can just sort of, you know, roll through. And, and I felt like the Lord was rebuking that pride to say, don't don't boast about that. I, I gave you that, but also live within limitations. I mean, there were several, there was a, a whole a, a tapestry of, of lessons that were uh, being learned. The one of, of appealing to God in a healthy way, but then the one of uh, living with a greater humility and surrender and not being presumptuous about the gifts. And then another thing about just em- embracing better, better limitations, not ignoring my body. Yeah. Okay, so then you had the surgery, if I recall, 14 days of complete silence. And then I, I think, Glenn, five minutes every hour. 
Yeah. Then we, so two weeks of, of complete silence, not a sound, not a laugh, not anything. And then a third week where it was just five minutes an hour. So I used my Apple watch and was timing myself, you know, to speak. And man, that's difficult too, because I started to kind of go back to some work meetings and, and I would sit there and it, I realized that I, I talk a lot and, <laughs> and that I don't often listen as well as I should. So when you only have five minutes worth of speaking an hour, you try to make a count. You try to be a better listener. You try to, you know, nod and support. And it helped me even as a dad at home to say, if I get five minutes an hour, am I going to give them instructions about tidying up? Or am I going to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. How was your day? So that was very, uh, very um, eye-opening. And then week four was 10 minutes an hour. So it was an incremental kind of journey back. Yeah. And then I, was it six weeks to full speaking? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Fascinating. On my own leadership journey, it's been a really good lesson. I think you and I have several things in common, verbal processing being one, you know, just it helps me to say it so I know what I think. And my poor team, they're very patient to get through. And it's helped, you know, my MLA materials that I just, I let everyone know that like it's, it's not a secret. But in my own leadership journey and say the last three years, particularly, just getting clarity on how often what my team need most in a meeting is for me not to speak. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. because I, the power I carry as a lead pastor and, and they have it. They've got it, whatever it is. They've got it. Um, what was it like for you to be in meetings at work where you have things to say and you can't say them? It was an opportunity to, um, to really trust the team. Um, and I found it, actually more difficult in settings where I was not leading. So, so I, I, you know, I'm in some settings, I am the lead uh, guy, but in the church-wide context here at New Life, Brady Boyd is our senior pastor and there's a senior team. So the senior team meetings where everyone is weighing in and I'm listening and, you know, pointing and as if to say, yeah, that's it. You know, it said it was a different role, but it, it, in a way, allowed others to be more vocal, to step in. If someone was, I'm typically the contrarian in the bunch, you know, so it allowed others to kind of step into that role and to say, well, is anyone going to push back or is anyone going to offer an alternate perspective? And um, that was good. I will say doing meetings on Zoom helps because you can use the chat box a bit, you know. Uh, But even so, as anyone who's, you know, worked on Zoom knows, the chat feature is not instant. So there again, you have to kind of wait and pick your moments. So trust, I I think trust was a big thing to trust that the team has this, um, to trust that they're not going to use this moment uh, to squeeze you out. I mean, this is maybe a fear that's that's unique to me and my own dysfunctions, or maybe it's a fear for for many Enneagram threes or Type A leaders, or whatever. Is you you kind of think, well, if someone else is speaking, will I be forgotten? Will, will it will I become um, superfluous or un- redundant? And once I return, because now there's others doing it, and and, and having to trust that. No, that that's not nobody's trying to do that here. And we have a very strong team collaborative sort of environment. We all are very aware that any one of us could could fully take the thing. And uh, and so for me to be sidelined, I had to battle the fear of like, man, you snooze, you lose or next man up. And, you know, like the NFL or something, you know, that you're only as good as your last game and that kind of thing. And to say, let's trust that the church is better than that. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I want to explore two themes on on your time of silence. One is the theme of control and the other one's the theme of intimacy. Hmm. So Hmm. what I've learned about control, when when I took a sabbatical in 2016, I had some mystical encounters with God that 
is unusual in our tradition and was desperately needed. Hmm. And there was a, a, a one-week period. It's kind of ironic because I, I had a 14-week sabbatical and my wife and I in our church, we set it up to increase the likelihood that I would run into God's spirit a lot. Hmm. And therefore, it just became another sophisticated way for me to try to strong arm God on my time. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's funny. So toward the end of the sabbatical, I was getting quite down that, hmm. man, I haven't had this encounter that I thought I'd be having all the way through. And then in about a four-day period, I had these three experiences that came together as this, and, and it changed my life. Mm. Somewhere in there, um, someone advised me, I think it was a spiritual director said, look, if you know, you're a preacher, you like to share your experiences, don't share these. Maybe share one of them. And, and he said, when you talk about it, you're controlling it. Mm. But a mm. mystical experience is intentionally something that wow. you're out of control of. So don't tell us. So I only ever talk about one of them. Um, but I'd be curious that that relationship of not speaking in control, you've already hinted at trust with a team, but let's yeah. just chase the control angle and see where that leads. Well, it's, it's interesting, Steve, because the two things that bubbled up to the surface for me was fear and anger. And both of those are related to control. And I became aware of that um, as I would journal during this time. I, 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 uh, I had some time alone. I mean, people would ask me, man, did God just download all this revelation? And I would say, bro, I, uh, we homeschool our kids and we have four of them. You know, I'm not, I don't live in a monastery. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but there were times, that particularly coming back from Boston, I, I moved into the guest room for a week just to have a, a bit of isolation. And I would journal. And and yes, the the fear and anger betrayed uh, and my lack of patience even all were connected to kind of a desire for control and so there was this this sense of the lord inviting me to abide to to trust in him and actually it's born born fruit into uh, a, another area of my life uh, in ministry where i've had to say lord i don't know the future of this or that and i don't know the answer or what's around the corner but rather than live in fear and anger or impatience I want to relinquish control and and abide and 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 dwell with you. So there definitely were some intimate moments that that came out of this with the Lord of of learning to listen, of learning to be still, of learning to trust, of learning to to let go of the uh, um, making sense of my relationship with God by what we were doing together. So I I don't you know when people say well, we don't want to make ministry about doing for God, I, I've never felt that like I need to sort of perform for God. But even the sense of a relationship with God that was about what we were doing together, as opposed to a relationship with God that was simply about enjoying um, each other, him enjoying, delighting in me and me delighting in him. Uh, that was something that as a young worship leader, as a young boy, I, that's how I began. I, I didn't come into worship leading as a teenager because I had aspirations of being this or that. I just sitting, I was a, a broody teenager with my guitar by my, sitting on the edge of my bed, you know? So there were some of those moments that I felt like the the Lord was inviting me back into to recover. Mm. Oh, that's, I'm really glad I asked. That's a, that's a beautiful answer. Let's take it from the angle of intimacy. You know, um, I know the way I'm wired, my early lesson in marriage was that Lisa doesn't so much need to know that I love her. She needs to know that I need her. Hmm. And the way I predominantly need my wife is to be cared for when I'm anxious. Hmm. And when I'm anxious, I'm verbal. Hmm. 
So the way she serves me so often is just to sit and listen as I just talk and talk and talk and talk. Um, just tell us about the the challenge of of connection with Holly and with your kids when you're under this vocal rest. It was very hard. I mean, pe- people would joke that, oh, I bet your wife loved it because then you could just listen. And and there, <laughs> there was some of that. I mean, she uh, she did enjoy that I was just I had not, nothing to say. I was just sort of attentive, but it, it didn't take long before it, it got frustrating. You know, um, I eventually used a text to speech app um, on my phone. So I would type out a response and I could ask and I could communicate. And that was really helpful. I'm so grateful for technology. Um, but early on, I would write her notes at the end of the day. I had this, you know, little journal and I would say, okay, how, how was your day? How did you feel about this? I would ask three or four questions. And so I think that level of intentionality and attention was a gift to her that I'm trying to remember and and not lose right now, you know, um, but there were also moments, you know, we would go for a walk and I would just motion to her, you know, yes, you know, with my hand kind of in a circle, like, yeah, tell me more. And and she would say, I, I just I don't really want to do that, you know. Um, and so we just both walk in silence. Um so it it there were there were challenging moments with the kids for sure. I felt like I was in a glass cage, like I'd be sitting at the dinner table and they'd all be talking and the flow of conversations just going so fast uh, that I couldn't interject and I'm trying to, you know, keep up. And so there there were definitely moments of profound loneliness where just eliminating speech. And so I, man, I, I my heart goes out to people who live with either chronic pain or chronic illness or, or a disability of some kind, because we don't know how alienating that can feel, even in a group of of, of others who, who who don't have that that disability or are differently abled. Or um, and so, uh, um, just a, a little drop of experiencing that for me was like, wow, that's that's an interesting thing. I think a lot of us came out of 2020 really keen on 2021. And I have been banging one gong in 2021. And here's the gong. The only way 2021 is going to be different if you, is if you're different. Mm. The, the big false belief of leadership is that our external circumstances are what make us well or not well. And I'm really grateful for what Glenn has shared because his 2020 added... Uh, a once-in-a-lifetime challenge that that most of us have never had to face. And I think what you heard from Glenn is the internal work, the the deeper work he did. Obviously, I wrote a book, Managing Leadership Anxiety. I've had a lot of people want to read it and then do something. And so in 2021, I launched an online community called Capable Life. First three letters are capable, C-A-P. They remind us that it's about calm, aware, and present. When we're in the grip of anxiety... We don't see what really is. We're infected. Our ability to see what's going on is, is affected. And, and, and we don't see the truth. And, and Jesus is the truth. And so my goal is to give us the tools to where we can overcome anxiety so we can see Jesus. It's, it's pretty simple. Hmm. And the way you know you are at rest in Christ is when you're calm, aware, and present. 
My uh, philosophy of spiritual transformation is it doesn't happen by internalizing. You can't read your way to transformation. You can't listen to a podcast your way to transformation. As much as these tools are helpful, you have to embody it. And you have to do it with others. And you have to, ha- you have to bravely practice. So if you're interested in joining that community, right now is the recording of this. We have about 120 people on it from seven different countries. It's been, it's been open two weeks. We're brand new and we are having a blast. It's $28 a month. You can sign up for a month. You can get a discount, sign up for a year. We do money back guarantee, all of that stuff. CapableLife.me, www.CapableLife.me. Listen, I'm not saying that that's the only way to change. There are a lot of amazing tools out there. Like Pete's Cazero's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is a great tool. All I'm saying is, if you want 2021 to be different, you have to do something different. This is my offering. There's many amazing people offering many amazing resources. But why don't you... Stop listening to a podcast and saying, I'm going to get around to it and actually get around to it. And that's about as angry as I get on this show, that little gentle threat, that polite threat. All right, Glenn, I can see you're intimidated. I get it. The gauntlet (laughs) has taken down lesser men than you. And yet here we are. And for you, it's round two of the gauntlet. As you brace yourself and face the gauntlet of anxiety questions, here's the first one. I think many faith leaders experience a gap between what we proclaim about God or what we believe about God and what we experience from God ourselves. I know in my life for years, it was the love of God. I could proclaim it more than I experienced it. Is there a gap between your belief and your experience right now that you grapple with? I think it would have to be related to his um, goodness and his sovereignty. So, um, I, I believe that God is good no matter what he allows to come our way. But I think when difficulties come, it's it's harder to really live that out. I, I'd like to see more evidences that are obvious about his goodness. Uh, and I do well when those are there. But when they are not, it's like, gosh, I really want to believe that even though the fig tree doesn't blossom and even though, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I'm, I'm, I struggle with being an even though kind of Christian. Mm, that's good. It's funny how things can flood you. I just got flooded with the very first song I ever learned in youth group because I didn't uh, grow up in the church and it was though the fig tree do not blossom. This obscure wow. passage from the old Christmas. He sang that whole passage in a very 70s folk music, you know, kind of song. Oh, sorry, I just... That's amazing. Like, oh, that just took me right back to being 15. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, one, one of the pieces of work that we do in MLA is we, we do what's called a verbatim. I, I know you're aware of it. It's one of my favorite tools and it really helps us to figure out when we keep running into ourselves again and again, how do we overcome this same trait? What would be one trait in your life as a leader specifically where you just keep running into yourself and you'd like to be able to overcome it a bit more? Hmm, that's a good one. Oh man. <laughs> um, I think it could be my, um, I could pick a couple distractedness sometimes. I'm trying to uh, multitask. And so sometimes when I'm sitting down in a staff, in a staff appointment, I'm more distracted. I'm, I'm picking up my computer or my phone instead of being present. Uh, so that's one. I think another one that comes to mind is being able to withhold 
negative feedback until the moment, until the right moment. I sometimes think it and then I want to share that. Hey, I need to, you know, and that's not always best for the people I'm leading to hear it the moment I think it. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's great answers. Another thing we're, we're exploring that's new, even since the book came out, is the inner critic and really helping people notice and name the inner critic. And, and what I've come to discover is I think the inner critic is evidence that we're depending on self instead of Christ for our righteousness. Mm-hmm. We, we are harsher to ourselves than God is. So here's, here's the sentence, and I'm going to invite you to fill in the blank. What if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? Kind was the first word that came to my mind. Kind. Yeah. Um, because sometimes I'm like, man, come on, Pacquiam. Like, you know, get up, do that thing or, you know, write that thing. Stop ignoring this or that, you know. And uh, yeah, what if I was at least as kind to myself? Yeah. Yeah. Your inner critic has a harsh edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I believe you answered this one before, but that's still my favorite question. When is a time in your life when you feel most fully and completely loved? Oh, when I'm laughing and playing with my kids and my wife, you know, maybe it's a board game or we're we're out on a bike ride together. It's just, yeah, on a Sabbath when we're all, when, when, and one of the best things, one of the gifts in COVID was that their Sabbaths got to be more Sabbath-like because they weren't leaving the house for activities. And I, and I know they they were disappointed, but we were not, you know, um, because we got to really uh, do more of that together. Oh, that's good. Yeah. There's a, a new card game our family was given called Dude. And it's, <laughs> you all get a, six, a set of six cards and it's all six different ways you can say the word dude. <laughs> And when you start, everyone just says the word the way the card says, but you all say it at once. So if there's like six or seven of you, it's just everyone saying, dude. But you also have to listen to hear the one of the person who's saying the word dude the way you are. And it's a it's a matching game. Um, <laughs> that's amazing, man. It's about this. We need, we need the Aussie version of it that's mate, you know. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, we could do that because we do say mate in a lot, like seven or eight different ways. That, Okay, if if I build that card game, we'll go, we'll license it we'll together. Go together. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Heard it here first, Glenn. Man, as always, thank you. Thanks for bringing wisdom and and clarity, and thanks for sharing some of your inner journey. If people want to connect with you more, what's the best way they can follow up with you? Yeah, I mean, my website, glennpackiam.com. Uh, Glenn is with two N's and Pacquiam is P-A-C-K-I-A-M.com. On Twitter, I'm at gpackiam. On Instagram, at gpackiam. So that's probably a great way. Steve, you're always the consummate question asker and an amazing host. Thank you so much. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyoualliance.org. 